Sliced Apples Podcast with Alex and David. So we uh we are green or wet behind the ears when it comes to bachelor trips. Uh, this is our first one. Alejandro is actually the best man. So he's supposed to be planning it. I think like, I don't really know the like structure of it all, but we've all kind of chipped in a little bit and we're going to Vegas. So any, any advice? I know you went semi recently, right? Like last Scottsdale. year, Scottsdale. Yeah. I went to a bachelor party in Scottsdale. Um, yeah, man, it's, I'm actually in the middle of planning one right now myself too. Because my little brother is engaged and I'm his best man. So I'm kind of in the beginning stages of that. But with Vegas in particular, it's easy. I've never planned one for for Vegas. I've been been to one. But there's just so many options, man. And it's also really easy to get ripped off. Like, don't let some dude take your money and say, like, oh, I'm going to plan out. You know, this night we'll go to this club and whatever. Um, I would just say the best thing I could say is just really overdo the research like talk to as many people as you can um because vegas is just i mean it's fun it's right nothing wrong with going there for a bachelor party but it can uh it's a little more overwhelming than some other destinations and i don't know y'all's whole crew very well obviously who all's going but the one experience i have with a bachelor party there if you have an idea of who that friend is or maybe friends that maybe are a little more irresponsible, make sure that they are just freaking prepared and they don't act a fool. And like, we had a guy like lose his wallet and like stuff like the very first night and it was a nightmare. But just try to make it the best experience for your uh, your groom as possible and just over prepare, if anything. Just have it mapped out so it doesn't go haywire. So then uh, who's going to be on Topher watch? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Shout out Topher. Shout out Topher. I'm not throwing him under the bus. I got another name in my head, but we won't voice that one. Uh, well, hey, um, what, I was, what do you think about a, bat, a groomsman fantasy football league? Hmm. I mean, if it makes sense, like if, yeah, if it makes sense, why not? Right. But yeah. I didn't want to do it for money. It's like the wedding is in mid-November. It kind of sucks because if it, if it would have aligned with the end of the football season, it would have been perfect because it was like, all right, loser has to do something like when the wedding comes, by the time the wedding comes around or something. But right. I don't know, some, some little idea I'm tinkering with. Oh, yeah. If it makes sense, why not? I've never uh, – I'm not – Huge fan of any fantasy leagues that don't have some kind of money pot involved. But if everyone else in the league is cool with it, and are you trying to say sure. something about the two fans league? No, no, because that there's no money, but the gift of getting to host two fans is that's that's pretty great. I I just I don't know what y'all's winning prize would be, um, but yeah, I just I either want to go after money or I want to be able to host this podcast right here. <laughs> <laughs> actually, so. speaking of which, I actually reactivated the two fans league today. I don't know if y'all got an email or anything reactivated. I changed the waiver wire system back to normal. That was the first thing I did make sure I don't forget that, but it's that time of the year. And it's like 
it's a great feeling. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, dude, I actually did my first draft with, uh, with a league last night, really early, wow. obviously, but what? yeah, with, what? with everyone, no, I know, but with everyone's schedules, it was literally the only time we could, but yeah, first, first draft of the year was last night. It is that time. Well, did you do it in person or online? No, we were all spread out. It's yeah, okay. like a bunch of different cities, bunch of different schedules. So we just were like, "F it, guess we're going." Guess we're going early. I want to. I want to stick in this Vegas vein though, because like we're we're struggling over here trying to figure out certain things. So like I've never been to Vegas, so that's <laughs> just number one. I have a lot of stories that can give me an idea, like. I guess financially where to be. But one thing we were discussing was the pool. So I have heard that the pools are a trap because you end up paying so much money for drinks. That's like an upcharge for the atmosphere. You're shaking your head. No, what's up? No, no, that that's me kind of like that. You're not wrong. Like you're going to pay a lot for drinks. Like for sure. That is absolutely correct. But I mean, I, the can... most fun I've, the most fun I've had at Vegas are at the big pool parties. at some Okay. Hotels. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pool. Pools are pretty dope. I mean, I kind of don't remember how much the bill came out last time I uh, <laughs> I went to a, buy drinks at a pool, but um, that's the point. That is the point. It was a great time. I don't remember what the bill was, and uh, yeah, I, I agree with T Mill. It's one of some of the fun. It's one of the funnest things you could do, especially if you pick the right the right pool to go to pool party yeah. to go to. Um, so outside yeah, of and, the pool activities, sorry to interrupt you outside of the pool activities outside of like just going and drinking at bars or gambling, or whatever, like what are some things in Vegas that you think we should take as our own for this bachelor party? Like what, whether it be a different show or a different something, yeah. some activity that doesn't involve just, you know, the primary activity being drinking, just, just debauchery. Yeah. No, uh, so that's tough because my, all my friends are very into the debauchery, and every time I've gone, it's been nothing but that. But we're not going to see uh, David Copperfield. <laughs> that, was a, that was a waste of money. <laughs> Supposedly the number one magician, magician act on the strip. Yeah, right. So I guess in that, like with Alex's question, the most fun thing I'd, I've done in Vegas that wasn't like gambling or a pool or just the club, whatever. See, I don't know what exact dates you're going, but there's always, you know, certain musical artists that have like a residency in Vegas and they put, I mean, their concerts are amazing. Uh, the Jonas Brothers. <coughs> is that what's going on when you are there? No, nah, I'm kidding. I don't know. He wishes. <laughs> I, I think yeah. they do have a residency going on over there, but. They do. <laughs> so yeah, that I would, that would probably be what I would recommend because it's just, I mean, they're there with their residency, so it's a nightly show that they have nailed down to a T to like maximize their entertainment value, and it's you know you're going to get a good time. And uh, I, yeah, I would look into that. I would look into the, whoever's playing. See, I was I was trying to mit mitigate a little bit of the deba debauchery, just because I don't I don't know. I think just too many days of that it would just be a little bit too tiresome. So oh, I, yeah. I was thinking maybe spend one day and go to the dunes. Where you ride the buggies, and it's like four or five hours that you go out like in the desert and just fucking wild out on a buggy, and that just seems fun as hell. How many days are y'all gonna be there? We were gonna get there Thursday and fly out Sunday. That's seems good. That that's right at the what I, in my opinion would be the uh, 
cutoff point as far as length of your body just being tortured by the end of it. Yeah, any more than four days in Vegas, you're like, yeah, I think you yeah. have you have issue. You're trying to kill yourself essentially, yeah. <laughs> yourself and your wallet. Oh yeah, no doubt. Unless uh, you you're you're up big in the casinos. Mm, true. So last question on Vegas for me that I can think of is, you know, it, well, it's just bachelor parties in general. It, it's typically. Uh, traditional, I guess, is the word that all the groomsmen pay for the groom's like trip, or how does that work? Yeah, my experience that ultimately, yeah, the groom shouldn't really pay a cent for anything, like not anything. But that also, of course, there's some. I mean, maybe he'll walk up and buy some fast food or something for himself somewhere. But like ultimately, especially like the big things, you know, if y'all pay to get into a pool party or your, uh going to a show yeah i would i'd say like all the groomsmen or whoever's present for the bachelor party all kind of pitch in and try to figure out a way to where that that fella doesn't doesn't really spend any money nice okay yeah i was already... on my vegas questions <laughs> i love vegas i i i'm excited to be with you for your first time in vegas because it's like a it's a huge adult playground that's what i call it a huge adult playground well said it's going to be a playground for you if you're not spending any money. <laughs> you're going to hey, be going bro. nuts. Hey, bro. I mean, honestly, I'll, honestly I'll, it's just more of the food. Y'all, y'all better be. Don't take me to somewhere where, like, the food too fancy because that's where I start. Like, ooh, hey. So y'all got the bro? Taco Bell at some point. The Taco Bell is just a cool experience. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. It's like two stories. You can order your Baja Blast with alcohol in it. They got, like, club music going. It's just different. They're built different over there. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're we're new to it, so we're excited. We're piecing it together day by day, it feels like, or hour by hour, but we'll eventually make it. I think we're going to roll like nine or ten of us there. That would so be fun. Well, let, let me time. do this, too. Like, I, I honestly, like, I know a little bit. I've been to Vegas a few times, but one of the guys I work with at the radio station, actually, he, like, he like prides himself on how many trips he's taken and how like well versed he is on all like the best deals and best spots of Vegas are. Uh, Landry Locker, he's one of the <laughs> midday hosts. And uh, let me, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit him up and get a get an email from him. He he literally it's he's like yeah on this day you got to go here because they have this deal for the the buffet and you're not gonna find anything better than you walk this direction. Love those people here. need those yeah. people in this world. Yeah, so I'll I'll see if Landry can can get you at least some information and you can use it or not. Works like at the, a radio show in Houston, but is in tune with what's going on in a different state. All the club deals, all the drink deals, yeah. all the food deals. Love that. Dude, dude, he goes to Vegas so much and like like it'll literally we'll be getting off work on a random Friday. It's like you know, the middle of March. And he's like, What are you doing for the weekend? He's like, Oh, I'm going to the airport, catching a plane, gonna gonna go to Vegas for the weekend. I'll be back Monday. He, just, he goes. He loves going all the time. I almost worked out there. Did you know that? Did not know that. I almost got so coming out of college. I had an internship uh, with a, a, a sports memorabilia company, and I didn't get the sales job. Um, and I won't go into that, but <laughs> that was uh, disappointing. And they offered me a position in one of their retail stores as a manager in Vegas. And I don't remember if it was like Caesar's Palace or one of the big hotels but they have 
a sport like their brand sports memorabilia store on grounds and they offered me that job it was like i mean 20 bucks an hour or whatever it was nothing but it was basically like you know we'll ship you out there 22 years old to live in vegas i was like i don't know if that's really a good idea with my addictive personality i'm not sure that's where i need to be at 22 years old so i turned it down but i did have an opportunity to go out there that would have been that would have been a unique experience for sure i did not know that interesting Yep, yep. Now I started come working at the radio with you, so that's that's what changed there. Yeah, yeah. Enjoyed that. Asses off, putting up tents and handing out prizes. Fun. Yeah, absolutely. You're sweating your ass off going out to Texans training camp, though, aren't you? Yeah. What's the news out there? How's that going? Man, it's been good. It's just good because, like, just coming off last year and and what spring training was and the circus show it was last year for the Texans comparatively now what we got going on you actually have a head coach in lovey smith who knows what the hell he's doing you don't have deshaun watson and every media member in the nation there to video him and see if anything happens with him every day it's like it's it feels like what a training camp is supposed to be it's they're coming out they're getting the work in seeing some good things seeing some things you want to improve and it's just football i guess ultimately that's what it is it's like this training camp is football it's not all the craziness that last year was so that's that's been really nice hmm so any uh anybody we need to keep an eye on for the texans as you you've been watching their training camp you know is uh like davis mills general mills is he yeah is he looking like that guy you predict him to be yes and others are finally starting to see it i'm not alone anymore and again no one's saying that what we're seeing from training camp is means a whole hell of a lot. But Davis Mills is having a tremendous training camp. The dude, I mean, day one of training camp, you have Lovey Smith at the podium saying that each coach and each player at whatever point is going to get a vote for who the captain is at the Texans. And you have the head coach, Lovey Smith, says, well, my vote's going to Davis Mills. He's our captain. He's taking that role. He's the leader. He's leading our team. So you're like, whoa, okay. So we go out on the practice field and actually start watching him. And I'll get the negative out of the way. I think so far we haven't really seen consistency or a lot of great stuff with his deep ball. But outside of that, the dude has been money. I mean, he he didn't throw his – and, again, it's just training camp, I know. But he didn't throw his first interception at training camp until practice four or five. I mean, he's just – he looks really good. He's he He's looked good every single day to one degree or another. He's only had – what I would say one bad practice. I think it was last Friday, maybe it was an end of the week practice. And that was the only day where throughout the whole time, he kind of was not consistent and he missed some throws. He normally wouldn't, but he's having Davis Mills is having a really, really, really good training camp, like really good. So how will that development, how will his development continue after the Texans trade for Jimmy, Jimmy G? That ain't happening. <laughs> Never happened. They've, for better or worse, I think for better. I cannot. I have no faith in what I think we know what Jimmy G is. But, but no, that 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 it's just not going to happen. They've pushed all in on Mills at least for now. That doesn't mean it can't change after this season. But right now, where we are today, it's it's Davis's show, and it's all right. Let's see what you can do in year two. So. And 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 that those rumors were kind of out there a little bit, but I mean, like I said, day one training camp, Lovey Smith takes a podium and he says Davis Mills is the captain and he's our leader. 
think that kind of shut all that down. Like he, Lovey Smith can't say that. And then, Oh, Hey, we've traded for Jimmy G Davis. Yeah. Grab the bench. So Lovey Smith isn't the GM though. So no, but for the first time in a very long time with this organization, it does appear to be true that the head coach and the general manager are very much in sync. They have a good relationship and they communicate and basically make most decisions together. I mean, draft day, I'm sure if Lovey came to him and, and said, well, I'd really like this guy, but Nick really believed in this guy. He wasn't like, I'm sure Casario's going to go with this guy as far as that, as far as that kind of decision. But like this stuff, I they're echoing each other too much. The message is too clear. Um, Casario didn't say anything as strong as Lovey did as far as like Mills is our captain, but in the times we've heard him in the last month or two, it's, it's all positive. It's all, you know, seeing good thing from Davis and, you know, he's our quarterback. We're moving forward with Davis Mills. So whatever it's worth. You, you've referenced that a couple of times. You said you were shocked when Lovey stepped up there and said he was going to be the captain who was in the running in your head prior to watching Mills this year. So with from what we understand with how every team does like their captain stuff differently, but from what we've gathered from the Texans, they're just going to have one captain on offense and one captain on defense. If I before Lovey said that, I wouldn't have been shocked if it was Davis just because it's the quarterback position. But before knowing that or before seeing him practice or before hearing Lovey say that, I probably would have thought maybe the obvious one was Brandon Cooks just because he's really – you know, arguably the only like real that we know of right now, the only real like playmaker that's proven he can be to whatever degree a playmaker. He's the veteran, you know, the multiple 1000 yard seasons. He's so that's what what I would have guessed. But like I said, I, no, I wouldn't have been surprised just with everything that quarterback position is and how important it is to to a football team. Well, the, the mainstream media kind of, you know, harping on what you said, the mainstream media is huge on Mac Jones right now in training camp and you already kind of referenced it, but being inside the media, how much stock do you individually put into training camp performances and how that translates? Like, do you see real progress? Like, do you look for certain things or is it, he's doing really well in training camp. We'll see a slight improvement in the season. Yeah. I try to, especially with, how positive overall this training camp has been for the Texans as a whole. I've tried to like guard myself against getting too hyped. Like just a second ago when I was talking to you about Mills, I think I said it twice. I'm like, look, I get it. It's just training camp. So I try to guard myself against thinking too much of it. But at the same time, I mean, it, it's really hard to quantify, but I do know that there are two things. I think the reason these two things have stood out and maybe I am putting more into than than some would or should. The two things are, like I talked about Davis Mills, just because it's been so long outside of Watson that we have a training camp where I've seen a quarterback, you know, look as crisp as he has, especially just going into year two and just trying to be excited about the quarterback play, given how important it is. And then number two, honestly, what it might be one A and one B. Dude, Damian Pierce, the rookie running back from Florida that the Texans drafted, like Clear, no doubt about it to this point. He's he's got to be the guy getting the most touches for the Texans, and he looks really good. I mean, given comparatively the other backs that he's he's playing with every day in training camp are Rex Burkhead, who's like 900 years old, and Marlon Mack coming off the torn Achilles. 
but at the same time, like just thinking back to 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 the running backs we've had in years past, um, in recent years anyway, like he 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 looks damn good. I mean, he he's running between the tackles for the most part and showing that ability. But there's been a handful of moments in camp too where he like runs outside, turns a corner, and nobody can catch him. Like he's he's gone. Like Damian Pierce has looked damn good. And I don't Great. think we're in a what's that. No, I was like, great. You gave everybody my sleeper running back pick. <laughs> Jeez, oh, now bro, everybody's going to try to snag him in the fantasy draft. Fuck. No, for real. And, and and pair that with what we think we know and that the Texans, as good as Davis Mills looks, I think I think they're going to be more run heavy or try to be more run heavy as long as it's productive than they've been in years. Like, he could have a big season. I don't think – we're obviously in this weird time in the NFL where it's rare you see any kind of like – feature back that just gets, you know, 95% of the carries in the game. I think you're still going to see guys rotate in every once in a while, but he should get the majority. And I think he could have like a really, really good rookie season. So you're, I'd like to say, first of all, you're more positive every single time you come on about the Texans, which is a plus because when we started doing this, I think a year ago when the Deshaun stuff or however long ago that was, it had yeah. been pretty negative, and now it's feeling more and more positive. Mm-hmm. Actually watching the team out there, what is the most positive thing? What's the biggest turnaround that you see on the field? Is it the Mac Jones performance? Is it the Damian Pierce? Or are you seeing something on the defensive end, coaching? Like, What's been the biggest turnaround from last year to this year? Yeah, so I'd say one of them is definitely the coaching. Um, definitely the coaching. I mean, Lovey Smith is obviously a proven head coach in the league. He went to a Super Bowl. Um, and the guy, when he's co- when he's coming to the podium after each practice each day to, to take questions from the media, I mean, you, we're seeing him out there coaching during practice, so it's not a shocker. But he takes the mic, and almost every day of, of this training camp, the guy's voice is, like, gone. His voice, like, he's, he's at the mic talking to the media, and, I mean, it is raspy because he's out there coaching these fools. He's He's not... David Cully out there just clapping and trying not to stumble over his words. Like he's out there coaching them up. You can tell that it's making a difference day to day. Like he'll work with uh, the the receivers or he'll work, you know, a lot on the defense. He's still the DC and you'll see him coaching these young defenders up, especially, um, which is also a bright spot I'll get to, but the head coaching and the coaching overall um, absolutely. Pep Hamilton, offensive coordinator, that dude, hearing him talk ball at the mic and seeing him coach, going to be a big difference. The, this offense, for the first time since Bill O'Brien came into Houston, we're finally going to see a different offense. Davis Mills said <laughs> as much earlier this week. He said, yeah, uh, with Pep Hamilton's offense, uh, it's a big change, but in a positive way. It's an offense Mills is familiar with from his days at Stanford. And Mills even said verbatim, he was like, you know, last year we were basically running. He said this, which is, I didn't think got enough attention, but he said we were basically running the New England offense last year. We all knew that, but Davis Mills just put it out there. He's like, yeah, this was this was Patriots offense, puts a lot on the quarterback, especially pre-snap stuff. What Pep's doing now is they want to build the tempo. They want the center and the other offensive linemen pre-snap, doing the pointing out, doing a lot of that stuff to take it off the quarterback. So they can have more time to just think quicker when once the play starts. They're not trying to overdo it in their head. Um, so Pep Hamilton and Lovey Smith are a huge takeaway. 
Um, and I think a lot of this rookie class that Casario has is going to be good. I mentioned Damian Pierce. Uh, Derek Stingley Jr. is already looking really good coming off his injury. He'll be ready week one. But the one that I think a lot of people, he's starting to get more hype now. But we talk about Derek Stingley Jr., and he's going to have all the pressure on him being the first pick of the Texans this past draft. But Jalen Petrie, the the safety from Baylor that they took um, this year, that dude is out there balling every day, making plays, like ball hawking, like like first to the ball on a lot of plays. Like that dude, like as it stands now, I think Stingley Jr. has a higher ceiling and, and ultimately might have more physical gifts and talent than Jalen Petrie. But where they are, like Jalen Petrie looks like, and I know this is a hot take, it's just training camp, we keep saying it. He looks like he he's ready like right now, week one, if it was starting up, like to go out there and be like a productive positive impact on Lovey's defense. Jalen Petrie might be the steal of the draft if he keeps showing out like he is, because he is the one on the defensive side of the ball every day at practice that like at some point we all kind of look at each other and like raise our eyebrows like, damn, this kid is this kid's really good. So and he's smart. He's really, really smart too, which which helps at any position. The best pickup for the Texans was the former head coach of the inaugural XFL champions, the Houston Roughnecks, Pep Hamilton. Yes, Clutch dude. pickup there. Um, as far as the offense and like him wanting to slow the, like give less responsibility on General Mills. I don't know, man. It's a little sus. I'm just saying. Can't handle that. That was always the criticism, though, of Bill O'Brien's defense is like, like instead of like playing football at times, you're having guys go out there and just with pre-snap stuff, it was so, for lack of a better word, like complicated. We didn't hear it just from like Mills. I mean, it was any quarterback in the system. It was any center, any any guard. Like they're coming out of the huddle, and there was like so much going on. For this offense to work, that it it, it was just it, it see, it's not common in the NFL. Like you see it in New England, sure, and then it was brought to the Texans and made us the Patriots South and that whole debacle. But ultimately, you take that off the quarterback's plate and you trust your center to be pointing out certain coverages or where the mic is, and then Davis Mills can focus on just. His, like the reactionary, like playing football, like just balling, like looking for for their playmakers, which is also what Pep Hamilton has put a heavy emphasis on multiple times. He's like, look, ultimately our offense is part of our offense. One of the biggest parts is we're, we want to get in our playmakers' hands. We have our playmakers. We know who our playmakers are, and we're going to scheme up things that are going to get it in their hands. We're not just going to, you know, line up on third and three and – Here's a handoff to the right. Like it, it's going to be more creative. It's going to be higher pace. It's going to be faster pace. I should say it's going to be just, just that it's different is refreshing. Like hopefully it works. I think it'll work better than what Bill O'Brien was doing. Knock on wood, but just that it's different and we're not running out the same crap that got the Houston Texans nowhere. Like that is what's exciting to see new ideas like we're not just shoveling out the same crap and and expecting it to change bubble screens love bubbles yeah yeah <laughs> no absolutely it's just uh yeah 
So you keep saying there's a lot of difference. There's a lot of different, you know, they're playing different. The head coach is different. I'm curious, and you don't have to comment because I'm not sure if you'll get in trouble for it, but there is still the Easter Bunny in the building. What, at this point, we haven't heard his name as much, and I actually watched Nick Casario on the Pat McAfee show, and I really have always liked the way he talks about the Texans or talks about football or answers. He always is very forward and seemingly honest, so... Where is Jack Easterby now? I mean, this was the huge deal last year. We were calling him the Easter Bunny and we were deep in, you know, how did he sit next to the McNairs and in the owner's box and all that? Where's he at now? We haven't heard his name. Yeah. So it's really funny you reference that Casario and McAfee deal because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was a great interview. And I think it was right after they got him off the phone or whatever. Casario got off the interview. Someone, it, what, someone on McAfee's team brought up, they were like, Dude, we didn't ask him about freaking Easterby. And yeah, he was like, yeah. oh, God. He was like, call him back. Call him back. How <laughs> did we do that? But um, no, man, the, the lack of hearing about Jack Easterby and like the lack of just him being in the media or at, he's not even at Texans events like he had been in the past, that gives me even more hope. And it's purposeful. And they have completely slowly but they have taken away all the responsibilities that he has had over the last two years that he that was just over his head like that he should have never gotten handed but they've basically what's the these aren't my words i'm quoting uh i think john lopez one of our midday hosts he's he basically said like the texans have neutered jack easterby like he's still there and I think they really do still have certain members of the Texans have, you know, some some degree of relationship with him. We heard Casario talk about him being close to them when he was introduced two years ago as a GM. But they understand, thankfully, that like he had stuff on his plate that he shouldn't have. And they understand the public perception of Jack Easterby. And you just he's not as present and it. it's purposeful and it's a good thing. And ultimately. I have reason to believe. I think I think this is the last season you see Jack Easterby as a member of the staff of the Houston Texans. I think when this Give season is over and said and done with, Love I don't think that. you're going to – yeah, I don't think he's going to be in Houston anymore. So you mentioned the responsibilities. I'm curious. What, what was his – like, can you list off a couple of them? Because he was Team Chapel, right? That's what he's always been listed as. Or did it well, move? Well, he started in New England as a Team Chaplain – and then worked as, I don't know what they were graduating him to, but it had, it had nothing to do with personnel. But I know he, t- he did take at least one step in New England, um, you know, that, to a different title that wasn't Team Chaplin, but that was his starting point. That's always important to remember, like you said. But when he came to Houston, um, ultimately at the peak of his power, I guess, he was interim general manager. He was the the part that was really hard to swallow. I mean, the interim GM thing was hard to swallow, but crazy for many years on their website, he was listed as like, uh, trying to think of the, the exact words, but he was basically the culture guy. Like the, uh, <laughs> like he was, he was the one who they said like was over anything to do with their culture and their team culture. And I mean, you saw this guy last year walking up and down, like the stretch lines at training camp, like, he obviously 
trying to act like a coach to a degree. I mean, he's talking to players and clapping and high-fiving them and, you know, just walking up and down the stretch lines. You don't see that this year. Uh, ultimately, what I, what I understand his role to be now is he, he does some logistics stuff for them. He, you know, maybe he, like, plans their travel and hotels and stuff for away games. Um, but they, they have completely changed his title and the bullet points of what his roles are with the Texans. There's no mention anymore of culture and his responsibilities. Uh, thank God, obviously, he's not anywhere touching anything to do with personnel. That is all Casario because when Easter B touches personnel, you have trades like DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona for David Johnson. But where uh, is David worst, Johnson? The that's worst our best trade. Run, that's our best in running the history back. of the NFL. The worst. That's our trade. best running back. Why did we get worst rid of him? trade for sure, Alex? Uh, that's RB one right there, bro. No, Rex Burkhead, man, he led the team in rushing yards last year. That's a fluke. That's a fluke. Four hundred rushing yards last year. <laughs> that's always that's always been my hang up with Jack Easterby, though. Like for whatever's true, whatever's not true, we saw all saw like the thirty or forty page SI article that came out, and he does at times come off a little slimy, kind of like a car salesman. I don't know him super well personally, so I try at this point not to talk a lot on that. But like the thing I always struggled with understanding as far as him somehow remaining on staff was like just the simple fact. I mean, there's many things, but particularly the simple fact that Jack Easterby's fingerprints were on that Hopkins trade. Like he like Bill O'Brien told us that verbatim, like he, he, like he was a part of that with Bill O'Brien making that deal. And I don't know how he survived that. Like the wor- like you said, Alex, arguably the worst trade in NFL history. It's not and arguably, he's... it is the worst trade. Sure, yeah. But that that was what I always struggled with. But he's he's managed to hold on, but I don't I don't think he's I don't think he's gonna be on staff much longer. Well, just like another Texan, former Texan that's no longer on staff, Deshaun Watson finally got a ruling on his suspension. And um I just want your reaction to six-game suspension, but also the NFL is appealing that suspension. They would like at least a year long with a fine. Like, what, 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 what is your reaction, and what, what is the rumblings going around in in your universe about the NFL's appeal? I have heard from multiple, whether it's guests we've had on our radio show or just opinions around our radio station or talking to people out at at a spring training out at training camp i think obviously you're going to see an increase and most people seem to think it's going to be at least double what was recommended i think when it's all said and done just knowing that the nfl i mean when do we ever see the nfl not get their way and knowing that the guy that's now appointed to I guess, appeal the appeal, review Sue L. Robinson's uh, recommended six games, Peter C. Harvey, that's who Goodell chose, and he's been involved with NFL stuff like this in the past. I really think that you're going to see an indefinite suspension, so the full season with a chance for him to apply for reinstatement after the season's over. I I don't know, man. Um, Yes, the NFL is the NFL. They always get their way. They have the power, but I was reading what 
obviously I didn't read the full report, but I was reading <laughs> parts, <laughs> parts of what the, the, <laughs> the what Robinson, what she put in her report and why she came down to the conclusion of six games. And it's pretty, it's pretty like locked tight. You know, you got, she mentions other suspensions where there were players that actually like convicted of domestic violence only getting 10 game suspensions. So if I'm on the side of Deshaun Watson and I'm his attorney, like his legal team, I, I just feel like you have so many things in your favor that Robinson pointed out in her report that you can argue and the NFL really can't like, what defense do they have to that? Cause there's literally cases of criminal convictions and actual violence and if Deshaun Watson were to get a full year suspension, those people, those players would get would have gotten less suspension, less of a suspension than Deshaun Watson, who wasn't who actually isn't even convicted. It was a civil suit. You know, obviously right. the PR was bad, but no criminal like the judge said there was not enough evidence or anything to go forward with the criminal case against Deshaun Watson. And I would say ultimately Everything you just said makes sense. But at the end of the day, when this thing maybe finally comes to an end, I keep telling people every time you think it is, it's, it's just not. Like, we, we got Swill Robinson's decision, six games, and we're like, okay, whew, we're at the conclusion. Nope, NFL appeals. But to, to what you said, it all makes sense. And there's a lot of moving parts with this whole saga that has been to Sean Watson but this is the first time there's been a case with this new um, what's the word Person, I'm looking for? Personal conduct policy? Third yeah, party, third the news, what they agreed upon with the new CBA. This is the first case with that. And because the NFL knows, they'd be dumb not to, what the perception is about the NFL and how they view women, they might be picking this as a time to like really push back against that and try to change the narrative we're right or wrong past past punishments past suspensions whatever they might be choosing that as the moment and as much as everything you laid out with with why watson and his team would be upset if he got a full year it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day with what's agreed upon in the cba whatever roger goodell says here Whatever he ultimately decides, if Peter C. Harvey recommends something, if he recommends a full season and, and Goodell says, all right, that's what we're doing, because the Players Association agreed on these terms and the NFL agreed on these terms, Goodell is the ultimate power, the ultimate end-all, like say-all end-all to this whole thing. So if Goodell says, yep, we're going indefinite and you can apply for reinstatement, that will literally be the end of it. And I'm sure Watson and his team will, we've heard you know, rumblings of, well, then they're going to take this thing to federal court and they're going to do that. That might happen. I don't know how all that ends, but because what was agreed upon in that CBA with both sides, the NFL and NFLPA, in writing, agreed to whatever this last, hopefully last decision is from Peter C. Harvey and Goodell, like that feels like it's going to be, I mean, that's going to be it. So go for it, it David. I was going to ask is uh, the person hearing the NFL's appeal, who, how were they picked? Uh, what did you say his name was? Peter C. Harvey. So he is a former attorney general of the state of New Jersey. And he's he's done um he, he's he's been a part of 
disciplinary hearings in the NFL in the past, um, most recently and most notably the Ray Rice stuff. Um, this guy was a part of a, a part of that. I don't know if it was a group of them or a team, but but he was he was brought in by the NFL and actually was a part of the whole Ray Rice situation. So he's no stranger to Goodell in the NFL. He's been around. Do you know if Harvey was agreed upon between both the NFL and the NFLPA, or is it like Goodell just to pick, gets to pick whoever yeah. he wants? Like no, Goodell got to pick whoever he wanted to be his designee. Yeah. So was that the same for Robinson? Or how was Robinson picked? Um, I did know this. I'm trying. I want to say. We got. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Hmm. We she she was supposed to be an independent arbiter, like like this Peter C. Harvey, like in the writing for the CBA. It's like yeah, Roger and the NFL can pick the designee for Sue L. Robinson's role. I don't know how they come to what an independent like source is for it, but. She was supposed to be an independent outside, no NFL association. Like she was supposed to be this independent arbiter to it. So, whatever that that means, I can't remember all the details. So, I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on this because just kind of came to me, and this isn't. It's kind of a question, but more so a statement. What's your opinion on the idea that we take this back to when this first broke the news? And Goodell refused, or I shouldn't say refused, did not put Watson on the commissioner's list and now is appealing this and then going to levy a penalty for Deshaun. It seems kind of bizarre that you don't put him on the commissioner's exempt list and then here we are, you get a third party involved, they give you a ruling and you appeal that to make it more severe. But your initial actions were to not put him on the commissioner's exempt list, which it seems kind of counterproductive or like it almost seems like two different people making a decision, right? Like that's that's strange. Yeah, and ultimately it is, regardless of what I'm about to say, it is strange. But I think what could have been a big part in that whole decision or non-decision to put him on the commissioner's exempt list was, was obviously the, uh, the, the weirder additional factor of him Watson was already wanting out of Houston and had made that clear. Like he didn't want to be with the Texans basically simultaneously with, with all this news breaking and the way the Texans chose to handle that wasn't like, Hey, we're going to find you we're, for, for days you miss or anything. They basically just, they, the Texans basically put him on the commissioner's exemplist without doing so. Cause they told him like, Hey, just go home. We don't want you around the facilities. We'll keep paying you. Um, I think that might have something to do with it. Like, I think if it came to a point where the Texans, if he wasn't disgruntled and if Watson was like, still like, yeah, I'm going to be a Houston Texan. This is my team. And he showed up for training camp last year. And then ultimately, you know, we got close to game time week one. I think you may have seen, and this is all speculative. I don't know, but, but I think you may have seen him put on that commissioner's exemplist. Cause I don't think the NFL would have been cool with a guy with, you know, 24 accusers of sexual assault. I don't know if they'd be cool with him going out and taking snaps, but that that whole deal where he just wanted to force his way out of Houston at the same exact time, I think played a big role in it. Makes sense. So do you, go for it, David. Do you think the NFL is trying to make um, Deshaun Watson the scapegoat? Of like their past uh, criticism trying, of how they've handled women? 
yeah, trying essentially ma- using him to make up for the, all, like you said, the criticism of their past. It it's possible. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think too could have some some effect in their logic right now and how they're going about it for sure. Um, yeah, no doubt. Like I, I, they know that, and I mean Tony Busby made statements just last week. He had a press conference and he ended it with like a message to the NFL. And he basically said, hey, NFL, Roger Goodell, like it's in balls in your court now. The world is watching, you know, your record with women. We're hoping that you make the right decision. It's never too late to do the right thing, that sort of deal. So, yeah, I mean, I think that absolutely goes goes into it. But at the same time, at the same time, like I know you said there's been athletes that like whether there was video of them doing something egregious, you know, Ray Rice or there's. NFL players who were actually convicted in a court of law. Like, I get that. But in the same breath, we've never, in football or otherwise, seen anything like what Deshaun Watson has been accused of. Like, we've never seen, like, 20 to 30 different women come out and say, this dude was, you know, booking massages with me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've just never seen it, and, and everyone has their opinions on, you know, degrees of of crimes committed, and and I get that, but uh, this guy, what he's accused of, nothing like it before. I mean, just reaching out to women on Instagram, scheduling massages, and you have twenty to thirty women all saying the same thing that he comes for a massage, and then obviously does some perverse things or or you know sexual misconduct. So I think that that's a really tough uh aspect to the whole like decision on on what his discipline is going to be too one more like deshaun question you know on the field but call the horny police jesus deshaun (laughs) like how how horny and and you got a girl bro like (laughs) how horny is it like a like one of those weird fixation things like it's just no it has to be like a masseuse and like it's got to be a power thing, right? Like a yeah, like a kink or a power thing has to be. Has but to be that's so speculation. Is that is that massage convention? That masseuse convention for real, or was that like <laughs> were we playing was, around with that? I was just was, thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, was that like for real? Did we fact check that? Because I saw that so it's much. For real. I, it's for Going real down that's, in Cleveland. Yeah, that's hilarious. What? What? Uh, Nobody likes Cleveland, anyways. I mean. <laughs> Um, on the field question for you about Deshaun before we move on and hopefully don't ever have to ask you about a Deshaun question again, because I know you get tired of them and especially the legal questions, but on the field, let's say he suspended a full year, your perspective as let's say a Browns fan or working in Browns media or Browns organization still worth it or not worth it. What do you think? I think the initial reaction would be like fire alarms going off and and thinking it yeah you may have just really after your organization for for you know several years to come but i think ultimately it would just depend on if he can somehow come back the next year if reinstated after not playing football in the nfl for three seasons and come back and try not to miss a step somehow not sure that's possible um but i can tell you this if it's a full year uh, texans fans everywhere should be celebrating because that is going to be be beautiful and Nick Casario will look better than he ever has. Yeah. Love that. Do we, do we get the Browns first round draft pick next year? Several. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm rooting for it. Let's go NFL. 
NFL, NFL. Let's go. Yeah, and that's what I've been telling like listeners, like, and I get it. Like we get listeners. We we don't in recent weeks we really haven't talked a lot of Watson unless it's like breaking news or like very relevant, like big time Watson stuff on the the appeals and whatnot, but we don't spend a ton of time on it. And of course, you're always gonna have listeners that are like, Man, like he's not our quarterback anymore. He's not in Houston, just move on. I'm done with Watson. And I get it, I really do. But what I tell people is like, man, like, but you should care right now because the hall of draft picks the Houston Texans and Nick Serial got in the trade of Deshaun Watson, whatever happens with him with this decision is going to directly impact that. Because obviously, if he misses a lot of games, the Browns record is most un- undeniably going to be worse than it, what it would be if he was playing in it. Or that's at least logically what you would think. You, know, you never know. I mean, every, any given Sunday, whatever. But you should, if you're a Texans, care, be, Texans fan care, because you should be watching this thinking – more games Watson suspended, you would think the Browns' record is going to be worse. Draft pick improved, and the Texans have a plethora of Cleveland Browns draft picks right now. And that's why I try to tell people: I get, I get. It's at this point we're all tired of it. We want it to be over, but this decision will have very direct impacts in Houston. We Man. appreciate your twenty minutes of Deshaun Watson talk, but I'm ready to switch it up. Hold on, hold on, hold on, bro. All I need is for Brooklyn to dish out all their stars. Deshaun to get a year suspension. Man, Rockets and Texans are going to be loaded up with top first-round picks. And we're going to be better than ever. The dynasty is coming. I feel it. But speaking of uh, Houston's current dynasty. The Texans have Cleveland's Cleveland's first-round draft pick for the next three years. Love that. Um, our current dynasty as well, we like to think it's a dynasty. It's the best thing we ever gotten the Houston Astros. Um, so Trey Mancini trade deadline, Trey Mancini, Mancini, um, and was it Christian Vasquez? Is that, that's his name, right? Christian Vasquez. Um, I saw Trey Mancini already making an immediate impact. Um, his first few games as an Astro overall, what, what do you think of the pickups at the trade deadline? And how do you like the the World Series chances this year? I think the Astros are in a great position to make another run at the World Series, no doubt. Um, at least under, you know, a casual sixth straight trip to the ALCS, I think is is not out of the question at all. Um, but I think the the trades that James Click and the Astros made made them better. To what degree? I, I don't think anything insane. They didn't. They didn't go get any superstars. But given what you're dealing with right now with the Astros, where their kind of shortcomings are, they address those with these moves. So you have Yuli Gurriel, who we all love. He is having a just dog crap year. He's having a terrible year at the plate. He's still great with the glove, but terrible year at the plate. So you go get Trey Mancini, who not only can play first base if you need him to, but you can go and put him in the outfield if you want as well. And Michael Brantley, it's not anything for sure at this point, but I don't see him coming back this year. I think Michael Brantley's done for the year. Um, he's been gone over two months now, and he's still not swinging a bat. They're being very secretive with the extent of his injury. I don't think Brantley's coming back, and he plays left field. So you get Mancini. 
who can play the corner outfield position if you really need him to. It's not a strong suit, but he can, especially in a smaller outfield. Mancini can play first base if you need him to. Uli struggling. He can DH, obviously. And if Uli were to, you know, hit a hot streak or something and you want him in the field and you have Mancini there at DH. So I think that move was great. Like you said, he's already been really good so far. His first three hits as an Astro were home runs, including a grand slam, his first of his career. So Mancini's coming in hot. Um, Christian Vasquez, same kind of thing. You addressed one of the shortcomings for the team right now, which is we all love Martin Maldonado. He's a top-tier defensive catcher in the league. He brings really great value to what he does behind the plate and the way he gets the best out of our pitchers. But the dude, his, I was saying Yuli was having a bad year batting. Maldonado's like unwatchable at times. The guy can't, can't hit a baseball. So you bring in Christian Vasquez, who is also really good defensively. Maybe not quite Maldonado, but really, really strong catcher defensively behind the plate. And he can hit a baseball. Now you have that catcher that um, I think you'll you'll actually see a lot more. Um, I think you'll see Vasquez be utilized a lot more, especially as we get closer to October than you would maybe a Mancini, um, except for Verlander. I think they're going to stick with Maldonado on days where Verlander's pitching because he's having a Cy Young year at the age of 38, and you just don't screw with the guy's catcher whenever he's having the kind of year Justin Verlander is. But no, those two moves in particular, love, and I actually really like the Will Smith uh, trade as well. Um, oh yeah, we got. Oh, that's the best part. We got a rid of Odorizzi. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, Will Smith's had a tough regular season this year. His numbers are not good by any means, but the hope is he can bring to the team some really great stuff when it matters most in the playoffs because this guy's track record in the postseason as a bullpen guy is one of the best he you hope maybe something just switches when when you get there um but will smith i think could end up being a, a decent pickup too and and you didn't really give anything up for him motor is he had some good outings this year but we have we had too many starters as it was on the team at times going to a six-man rotation and now you have lance mccullers jr coming back it was kind of like oh, out what are you going to do with him anyway he's been vocal about not liking coming out of the pen so hey we'll trade him and hope this this reliever that that comes in can can really help us in october speaking of mccullers that's what i was going to ask you about next what what's up with him when is he coming coming back i know he's on rehab in the middle of a rehab assignment right now but when when the year started wasn't it just a 60 day yeah so he got hurt in last postseason i would argue if he doesn't get hurt that the Astros might win the World Series, but he gets hurt in the postseason last year. And it was kind of, again, the Astros are always so secretive with their injuries, but he gets hurt, and then the offseason comes, and then if you remember, the Major League Baseball lockout happened. So Some think that the lockout may have delayed a little bit his rehab. I'm not sure how much it would have delayed, really, because he was still getting his own work in. Anyway, long story short, you're going to see McCullers this month, I would say, for sure. He just made his fourth rehab outing for the Sugarland at Space Cowboys uh, <laughs> last night. Actually, um, he didn't did give okay. up like didn't he give up like six runs or something? He, yeah, he did. But 
But like he's treating these starts like almost like spring training. Like he, it's more about he's not going out there like I need to get this win for the Cowboys. He's going out there and he's like literally working on like his own personal shit. Like he's like, all right, this pitch, I'm going to try to do this. and I want to see what I can do here. And to be honest, I think three fourths of the hits against him last night were like super soft contact, like under under like 60 mile an hour exit below, which in Major League Baseball is going to be an out nine times out of 10. His stuff has looked pretty good. His velocity isn't quite what it has been. It's not horrible, but his stuff, his movement, which is what he depends on, his curveball, it's looked really good. And actually, after his outing last night, he uh, he was talking with the press, and someone asked him, like, so you think, do you think you need another rehab outing? You know, this was his fourth one. Do you think you need another one? Maybe, you know, how many more do you need before you return? And he just said straight up, he was like, no, I think I'm good. I'm ready to return. I want to pitch for the Astros. Um I think I'm ready to go. So we'll see if Click thinks the same. But ultimately, I think you see the returnable LMC at some point this month. Can we can we put an injury prone stamp on him, or is it too soon? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> dude hasn't pitched in like. I mean, it seems like every time we need him the most, boom, injury. He's like yeah. the opposite of Correa. Correa got injured, but when it didn't really matter, and then came back yeah. when it mattered. McCullers, yeah. when we need him the most, you know, some goes out on him, and then it's just yeah. like, well, gee, bud. No, oh, yeah, I, 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 hopefully, hopefully he comes back this month and then stays healthy and is really productive in the playoffs. That would do a lot for that narrative. But you're right. I mean, whether it's this one or he had Cameron when he had Tommy John, but yeah, it was it was around the postseason a few years ago when he got hurt and they were trying to use him out of the pin. And then as soon as they were eliminated from the playoffs, he went and had Tommy John surgery. So he needs mm-hmm. to, he, he really needs to try to stay healthy, especially because he just got that new contract uh, last year. And um, do you think they move one of the rotation guys to the pen or you think they go with the six man? So that'll be the question. I don't think, I don't think we'll see a six man for, for the playoffs. I, I would be shocked, which means in my eyes, going to come down to two guys on who's going to go to the pin. I think it'll be either Luis Garcia or it'll be Christian Javier. And I actually would hate for it to be Christian Javier because I think his stuff is some of the nastiest they have. He's inconsistent at times, but when he's on, he's freaking nasty. But I'm scared it will be Javier because he he has the experience of coming out of the pin. Um, since he's been with the Astros over the last three seasons or so, it, I mean, they've had him in the pin for a long time. Then they, when someone would get hurt three years ago, he was in the rotation. And then they flip-flopped him so many times that I feel like that might be the obvious guy. But I really wish it wouldn't be because he's – it feels like you're not utilizing how good Christian Javier is if you're just bringing him out of the pin for, like, two innings every six days. It, it doesn't feel right to me. But yeah, um, there's smarter people than me in that organization, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, playoffs, you don't, they don't even use a five man rotation really in the playoffs. It's literally just right. like, depending how the schedule goes, just as quick as you could turn around uh, Justin Verlander and your top guys is right, like dude. four days, game seven. Uh, Verlander, we need you, bud. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. You're, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, someone's, someone will have to go um, if, if they're all healthy. I guess we'll see. Someone uh, I wanted to spotlight that um, I watched in the All-Star game, and he had some 
just absolute filth. Uh, Florida, uh, the Miami Marlins pitcher, Sandy Alcantara, man, he was in the all-star game. At least he was pitching some, it was dirty. Yeah. And I'm like, he's doing this to all-stars. The Marlins. Yeah. Jeez, man. I'm just, (laughs) no, no, it was, he was really good. I watched most of that all-star game. There was some, some good stuff from him that, that center fielder for the Mariners. I remember his name, young fella. He, he showed a lot of good things too. Yeah, I, I was going to say that's Alcantara is my new uh, betting guy. Every time I see him on, come up over the strikeouts, because I was like, man, this dude's pitching 100 miles an hour and just is moving everywhere. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, no doubt. Hopefully he can get away from the Marlins soon. So as a non-baseball regular watcher, I guess I'll call myself, this one Soto trade. I ran it by some people that are very religious about baseball, and they threw out some pretty wild comparisons about other players we would see. I mean, I heard Tom Brady. I heard LeBron. I heard Kevin Durant. I heard what is the magnitude of this trade to somebody like me who maybe doesn't watch baseball, but other sports like what's a good comparison in your eyes? It's tough because it's like Juan Soto is I mean, he's damn good. But I think, at least for me, what made that trade, like, like what makes that trade really crazy is that the team he's going to already has some, like, massive star power. Like, I mean, Tatis, he hasn't been able to play this year, but he's, he's coming back soon. You have Tatis and Juan Soto on the same team, and I'm blanking on that dude's name. They have another guy who's, who's having Machado. What's that? Machado. Yes. Yeah. So, so the Padres went from literally like, yeah, they're a good team. They might make the playoffs to like, in my eyes, I haven't looked at the Vegas numbers, but with that one move and with Tatis coming back, like their world series chances to me just flew through the roof. Like in, in that one deal. Probably, um, probably I would say second behind the Dodgers. I mean, yeah, but it's also weird. Cause like, again, Juan Soto is so good. The dude is he I mean, we saw it firsthand here in Houston in the World Series. Like the, the kid is good. But, but but here's the thing too. He's I actually I, having a down year. I I can't believe so a few things, Alex, is that he's twenty three years old and he still has three years left on his deal. So just that's all those two things by themselves, like in any sport, you get somebody that's twenty three with three years left on their deal. That's that's a steal. That's a steal as it is. And not only that, I'm very what I'm very shocked about is Josh Bell. They were able to say I forgot about Josh Bell being in snag Josh Bell, who is having a great season, one of the best hitting first basemen. It's like the Nationals just gave up their two best players by far. And said, all right, we'll take all these like prospects. In return, here's our two best players, which you never see. You never see a KD and Kyrie. Like you're probably not going to see KD and Kyrie get traded to the same team together. You're not going to see um, you. It's like Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins both being traded together to the Cardinals. It, it, you just don't see that. Hmm. I forgot Josh Bell was in that deal. That that yeah that that was. The Astros were actually trying to go after Josh Bell in a trade, and man, 
yeah, the the Padres have a good squad. So what's uh like what's what's the nearest comparison in MLB? Like what's the level of trade? Because I remember a couple of years ago it was the you know John Carlos Stanton, and then they had Aaron Judge. That was a big one. Like a lot of people were talking about that. You know that kind of permeated into you know other sports people that I I watch or listen to. So if you could compare it to a previous MLB trade, I've heard people going back. It feels like a hundred years comparing that like those kinds of trades is it really that magnitude like is it really you know that big i think so because you asked me pre like trades from the past i'll compare it to i'm not sure there is one i i think it's i think it's the biggest trade we've seen like just the fact that i mean it, it arguably would have been there depending on what the package was just for Juan Soto, but with Juan Soto and Bell being in that package, going to what they already had on that team and getting back, I think they got like three of the top 15 prospects um, from the Padres. I think that's, I think it's the biggest trade with like the most star player ready people involved that we've seen in one deal. And I feel like it's, it's, it's kind of hard for like non baseball um, experts, I guess you could say, to understand the magnitude of what the Padres gave up for yeah. those two. But from what I've heard, the Nationals got back a massive haul. Like they are, yeah, they're damn near set for their future. Like they are, like um, Timo said, three of their top 15 prospects, including more. You know, they traded away, they sent out Luke Voigt. Um, probably some other prospects too, and that that's going to be really the interesting thing because you you never know. Well, some at least in baseball, you never know in the moment. Like, all right, who won this trade? Because it usually deals with a lot of prospects that you have to wait kind of five, six ish years to see how they turn out and be like, oh, okay, like Nationals, you you did good or the players don't really turn out to anything Padres you're able to either damn near win a title or win a title. And the thing is I Padres are, are pretty set in my opinion. I think, uh, at least for the next three years. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, that that's the key right there. You have Juan Soto guaranteed for three years and this is his, I'm pretty sure this is his rookie deal. Like he, well, not rookie deal because they kind of um, redo it over time from year to year, depending on the player. But essentially, the Padres own his rights for the next three years. Um, so that that's insane, dude. Like, I mean, if I, I if I'm a Padres fan, I'm very happy. I'm a very happy camper. Nice, nice. That's everything I had, man. I just was curious about the Juan Soto trade because I've been hearing about it for a while now, it feels like. And, and yeah. it's also, I think, another interesting part of it is I think this trade was made because they're in the same division as the Dodgers. Mm. I believe if they weren't in the same, if the Dodgers weren't doing as well as they are right now, Padres will be a little bit more hesitant to pull that trigger 
because they have a quality, they have a good squad. They have a good team. Dodgers right now have an amazing team. Like they are rolling on all cylinders. And when in baseball, it's a little different from other sports. Like you really got to win your division in baseball to get to that postseason. at least not now because they changed the rules for this year, but for the most part, um, that that's another thing that I find fascinating is that Padres given their squad, if they're in another division with maybe not with not such a dominant team above them, I don't think this trade really happens, but when you got to compete with the Dodgers, Hey, sometimes you got to take these risks. Absolutely. Well, Tyler, we appreciate your time, man. Why don't you throw the plugs in there so the people know where to find you? No doubt, dude. Um, Sports Radio 610 is where you can hear my voice tickle your ears each and every weekday, (laughs) 2 to 6 p.m. on Clint Sterner and the show. Uh, Also, 7 to 8 o'clock each weekday night for the best of today on Sports Radio 610. You can find me on Twitter at T-Mill. Real deal. At T-Mill, real deal. T-Mill, real deal. (laughs) And uh, also a little tease for you. Uh, Can't give out... A lot of information, but I can tell you that there is a new website being launched in the next month by a Pro Football Hall of Famer, and I will be joining their crew for all of Texas A&M football content oh. creation. Oh, yeah, just Very inked cool. that earlier today, actually. So this is the first time I've really ever even talked about it. But be on the lookout for that. Yeah, hey. we'll be excited. When you when you start putting out content, let us know so we can we can have you on and talk about it some more. We're getting into Aggie football season, bro. It's yeah, getting man, real so exciting. Pumped. Yeah. Hey, no Bill, Bill, Billy and Texag, you need to watch your bat. Team Rodeo coming. Team Rodeo at your door. You're taking over. We appreciate your time, man. Two fans, you want to find us at Slice Apples Pod on Twitter, Slice Apples Podcast, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, wherever you get your your content. Uh, at Alex Claire at Cowboy Canal at its underscore Mister underscore Bombastic, it's the man behind the scenes, and uh, we will see you next time.